You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. I'm Phil. And I'm Erin. And this is week two of our study with the book of Revelation. Yes, Bible study being a spiritual discipline. And we're really excited because I, of course, wrote a book called Reintroducing Revelation. And on Patreon, we are also going deeper with practices around Revelation. So if you're listening to these episodes and enjoy them, I would highly encourage you to click that link in the description below, head over to Patreon, because this is a six-week study on the podcast, and we'll continue it over on Patreon as well as go deeper. But this week, we are in chapters two and three, looking at these seven churches in the book of Revelation. We would also say go listen to episode one first if you missed that one, but not absolutely necessary. <laughs> so hopefully, if you've been following in order, you were able to read chapters two and three this week and embrace the feelings that came with the description and the challenge or encouragement for each church. Um, even if some of them were feelings of confusion or bewilderment, I think those are very legitimate <laughs> feelings when you read Revelation. And yeah, I am so excited because personally, I find these seven churches to be one of the most relatable parts of the book of Revelation. Yeah, well, and that's very intentional again, because the number seven, of course, representing wholeness or completeness. So these seven churches, in some way, representing all churches in all times and places that we all have these challenges and difficulties that we're facing. And so the hope is definitely that we see ourselves in them just a little bit. And Actually, it's really interesting because the geography, you know, like when I lived in Israel, I learned that geography is like a character in the Bible that you know, we often look at characters to understand who they were and what they did. But geography is like another character. And sometimes understanding the geography helps us understand the stories and the books deeper. So what's really interesting is if you chart out these seven churches, can you guess, let's just see, can you guess the shape that they make? Like if you were to chart them on a map, how would it work? I'm going to guess a circle, but yes. is that possible? Absolutely. So what, if you look at these churches on a map, it appears that it would have been the route a messenger would have taken, that they would have followed oh. this church, gone around the circle and, and come back around. And so the idea almost somewhat is that the book of Revelation was written to these quote unquote seven churches, but those were almost just like the drop off locations that then it would spread out in like wider concentric circles after that. So it's not like one oh. church was way over there and one was way over there. It was sort of like John sent the letter and he's like, take it to these seven churches. Churches. But I think they would have understood it's supposed to disseminate further. These were the seven stops, but it's for everybody. Okay, so question. Yeah. When I hear the word church, I think of it in our North American way of church, which is like, which church do you go to? And I go to this one. Well, <laughs> I go to this one. Is Am I understanding correctly when it says like the church in Ephesus we're talking about a body of believers in Ephesus here. Right. We're not talking about like, oh, he sent it to the church on that corner, right. but he neglected to send it to the church across the street, right? He was. It's more saying yeah. he sent it to the body believers in Ephesus, the body of believers in Smyrna. Yeah, he didn't send it to the first or first Baptist or first Presbyterian <laughs> right, church right. Of, of Sardis, right? Um, 
Yeah. And, you know, it seems that churches were much more rooted in place back then. Mm. Um, And this isn't to say there weren't necessarily different meetings, but yeah, it's written to the body of believers, it seems, in that place. Very cool. So why don't we spend a few minutes looking at each of these churches, talking about some of the issues that they were facing. And again, we encourage you just to consider what you're feeling. Now, again, we like to think about these things, and it's very easy often to see these issues in other people. To be like, oh, that church struggles with that, or that type of church struggles with that. But what I would invite you to do while you're listening to to it being read or reading it yourself, is pay attention. Does your heart twinge? Does your stomach drop? Does your does your excitement rise? Does your um, fear rise? Like what changes in your body and in your emotions, and why? Because I think that says something about you. Mm. Yeah, I was going to actually encourage you to do the same thing or think along the same lines, which is to just be very cautious when we're reading this not to use it as a platform to start judging other Christians that you Mm -hmm. know or have seen on TV or have heard about. Um, I know the first time that I went deeply into the book of Revelation was actually while we were living in Africa. And it was really interesting because (laughs) our Bible study group at the time had a lady from the Netherlands and it had local Malawians. And we all found it easier to look at each other's churches and say, well, I can see how your church, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But then they would look at you and say, well, I can see how your church. And you go, oh. like." I mean, we were right. but, but... <laughs> They were too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's this, I think, a protective stance our heart sometimes takes to say, okay, that's them, not me. Because... I don't know how often we seek out rebuke. And one thing I really want to encourage and I hold dear in my heart is this idea that when rebuke comes from the Lord, it's an opportunity for us to come closer to him. God doesn't rebuke us and then judge us harshly or shun us or abandon us the way people may have done to you in your past. When God rebukes you, and what we see with these churches is when a church is rebuked, there is always the opportunity to recognize and embrace that, own it, and then repent and do differently. So that's something that um, I just want to encourage you to pay attention to. If there's something you identify with in one of the churches, it's not a death sentence. It's not an ending statement of like, well you blew it. This is God saying to you in a loving way, because he loves you, look at what's going on. Mm -hmm. And here's the prescription for how you can turn this around and adjust your life accordingly, which that's the most beautiful (laughs) gift from God you can hope to get is if you're one of the two churches who are going to see are struggling, but are holding firm, God's going to give you encouragement. And if you identify with that, God is encouraging you. And if you're one of the more uh, populous five churches that are getting a little bit of a like rap on the knuckles here and uh, hey, you know, get your head out of the sand, let's do this the right way. It's not meant to be something that stops you, but rather um, propels you to move towards God intentionally. Yeah, absolutely. That's very well said. So let's kick it off with Ephesus. 
So, Ephesus. you know, unfortunately, we don't have the time to like dive deep into each one of these churches and all the little things that well, we could, facing. but you would be sitting with us for much longer than you might enjoy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, you know, Jesus, we're going to do a highlights reel. That's what we're trying to say. Yeah. You know, Jesus starts off well that he knows their deeds and their hard work and that they can't tolerate, you know, wicked men. Those uh, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not and found them to be false, persevered and endured hardship. Yet I hold this against you, forget, forsaken your first love. And there's a lot of debate here on what this means. But, you know, one of the things that stands out to me, at least initially, is he's commending them once again for having the right answers, right? A lot of the churches are struggling with false teachers, people who are telling them, hey, it's okay to compromise. It's okay to both worship Jesus and participate in the cult or participate in the empire or with the emperor. And it's like they've got sort of the right ideas. But it almost, to me at least, sounds like by forgetting their first love, they forgot that it's not all about just having the right answers, but there's more to it. It's about living it out. Living it out. And I think living it out in a relationship with God. How many times, I mean, I've had this happen in my own faith that I know all the right theology, but I don't really have a close connection to God anymore. I've like Mm -hmm. forgotten that part. I've forgotten the first love. Sort of like, you know, you can get married and you can do, you can do the right things, but not really be connected to that person anymore. And so it's like, are they really connected to God? Are they really connected to loving or do they just have the right answers? And I have to say, (laughs) very hard to be a Christian in the first world in this time and not sort of struggle with everything becoming intellectual and forgetting the deeper relationship component. Mm-hmm. Well, because that's what our culture teaches us. Think about our schooling experience. For many of us, it wasn't about crafting a trade and learning from the wisdom of those who came before you and have passed it down through generations. Or we're very much, here's the textbook, here's some additional reading, let me tell you what else you should know And if you're lucky, you might have a professor who encourages you to experience it or play around Mm. with something, but we aren't often engaging it personally. Well, and I, and I also just wonder in, you know, again, we're having to read a little bit into what could have been going on here, but when he says, remember the height from which you have fallen, um, do the things you did at first. Yeah. That's what I was going to bring up. My Bible says, repent, repent. And in my other version, so I, I have ESV and the message in front of me because why not? Yeah. Um, but the message says, turn back, recover your first love. The ESV says, repent. And I, I love that idea that they, you would think by the whole description up till now, they're doing everything right. And yet they're told to repent, which means to admit you're in the wrong yeah, and change direction. Yeah. And he's pointing out, do the things you did at first. And I think, again, this is sort of going back to the how easy it is when we think we are right. And he's saying you are right. You have the right answers, but you're not loving anymore. Mm-hmm. How easy that is to become like, yeah, we've got all the right answers. And if you're not with us, then you're out. And I don't know for sure that this is what they're doing, but it what it's what comes to mind for me at least when he's like, do the things you did at first. Mm-hmm. That being a follower of Jesus is being hospitable and open and merciful and gracious and forgiving. And yeah, we maybe don't tolerate false teaching as they're talking about, but at the same time, 
we have to return to love and remember that it's about sharing the truth and being the truth and not just having the right answers, but living like Jesus. Mm-hmm. This is so important because he says that if you don't repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand from its place. Basically saying, and this this is a this is a shot across the bow, you can have all the right answers and not be a church. Wow. That's what he just said. Yeah. He's like, you you do it, you know, you don't tolerate wicked men. You tested those who are apostles, claim to be apostles, but are not. You've endured hardship, not grown weary. But if you don't repent and start loving again, you're not even a church. Because the lampstands, Revelation 1 says, are the churches. I'm going to remove it. So you can have all the right beliefs and not be a church anymore. I'm going to go ahead right now and restate what we started with. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you're finding this resonates with you, remember it's a sign that God loves you so much. He has chosen to speak through this message to John to the church of all time. This is for all churches and all times. And you may find yourself here. You may recognize that this was part of your story previously. Mm. Um, And you were able to repent and fall back in love with God and do the things that you were created to do. But yeah, just um, as we keep going, (laughs) because it is, it's big. And I think that's something um, culturally where we are, our church easily falls into the trap of this. That does not mean that every church does or every Christian does, but this is an easy trap. Absolutely. Okay, so so Smyrna. Yes. Smyrna is one of the only two churches who is not given a repent statement. So there's only two churches that God basically gives a little hug to and is like, hey, pep talk, keep keep it up. And Smyrna is one of them. Yeah, and they're facing persecution, right? He says, I know your affliction and poverty. Um, They're being slandered. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Some are going to go to prison and suffer persecution. Be faithful even to the point of death. So this is a church that is living faithfully, loving, serving, refusing to join the system of injustice, refusing comfort and security, and they're paying the price dearly, being put in prison. Because here's the thing, when you go against the system, the economic system, the uh, government system, when it's for only a few and not for everyone, that system hates that. That's why Jesus was killed, because... They, he was upsetting the system of both Judaism and the Roman Empire. And that same thing is happening here. When you don't go along, the empire, the system fears you because you're seeing the truth. Again, right? That's, the, that's what Revelation is all about, helping you see the reality, not what's on the surface, not who appears to have power because of money or strength or fame or whatever it may be, but the true power residing with those who love and share shalom. And so for this church, they're paying dearly for not participating. One of the things that stands out to me with Smyrna is if you were to write like a promotional pamphlet for why to become a Christian, (laughs) I don't think anything they're going through would make it on the pamphlet. Mm. Tribulation, poverty, slander, Uh, suffering, prison, testing, tribulation, death. Yeah. None of that is what we like to talk about in the church. And 
I don't even know that we talk very much about martyrs, people who go through this and are <laughs> are killed to the point killed to the point of death. That is the definition <laughs> of killed. Right. Um but so I think just letting yourself sit with this is sobering to realize that the point of church and Jesus is not to give us instant success. It is not uh, it is not a guarantee of wealth and riches. It is not a guarantee that everything will go beautifully for you for the rest of your life because mm-hmm. now you're a Jesus follower. God loves you so much. He's going to protect you in all things. He can, and that's absolutely the bedrock story of many people of faith. So, you know, don't hear me wrong on that. What we see in this church, though, is when trials and tribulation come, that isn't a sign that the church is not with God. And I think we're in a culture... And this is me speaking out of my cultural experience because that's what I can bring to the table here. But I don't. I think we are quick when we see someone struggling. Perhaps they've shared, um, "I've been called by God to do this," and we see what looks like an epic failing in our eyes, and we go, "They didn't have the call of God. They're not following Mm. Jesus," because it doesn't look successful to us, Mm. or we see a church that's struggling financially and they're small and they keep getting hurt by thing after thing after thing. And we say, I don't, I don't know what's up with that church. I don't know that they're really with God or right with God, Mm. because if they were like, "Eh, what, you know, what's God doing? That's, that's not a sign of God being with them. We're, I think it's, and I don't know why we do it. Maybe it's because it's uncomfortable to embrace the fact that no, that person following God might have a tough road for mm. the rest of their life. That doesn't mean God abandoned them. Right. That's actually the, actually the picture here we're given of a Christian, a follower of God. And same thing with a, a body of believers who we might look at them and say, yeah, but like, look, their people are riddled with cancer. They keep having financial issues. There's like, yeah, you know, of all the churches, I don't want to go to that yeah. one because they don't appear to have God present. Yeah. Well, no, this church of Smyrna, they're not the shiny, pretty ones. They're not the popular ones. They're not the ones that are appearing successful. Because they're not fitting in. But yet God is telling them, continue, you're going to get the crown of life. Right. And, and not face that second death, right? And this is one thing. Each church does have a promise at the end. I mean, mm-hmm. even Ephesus, if if they turn, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life. So yeah. you will no longer be taken away your lampstand. You'll be given the tree of life to live forever. And here in Smyrna, it's, you won't be hurt at all by the second death. And so here they're given in a sort of an eternal perspective to say, your life here may not look like everyone else who's comfortable, everyone who's secure, everyone who's doing it according to what is most logical, according to the system. But they are at serious stake of a much worse eternal problem in -hmm. relationship to God. And if you keep going, your life may not be what you want it to be now, but you're closer to the eternal type of life. Because again, you know, heaven is what heaven and hell are continuations of how we're living now. Right. And so there's a sense in which he's saying you're, you're going to experience something greater and more important. And that's the promise that they're given. Mm-hmm. I like uh, the message versions 
um, what a translation of the promise as Christ, Christ conquerors are safe from devil death. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's, that is a really, that hit me. They have truer life. Yeah. They're already experiencing it. Yeah. So well, anyway. I've just realized that we are at about time. And so I think uh, what we're going to go ahead and do is split the other five churches into a part two, if that works for you. That way people can pause here and uh, consider those churches, consider um, what that looks like, and then we will take you into the other five next time. Does that sound good? That sounds good. All right. Well, friends, thank you again for joining us today. I do highly encourage you again to go check out that link in the description below. Come join us over on Patreon where we're going to be going deeper with Revelation over the coming weeks with practices and covering more of this really important book. You can also find a link to my book, Reintroducing Revelation, which I also highly recommend even though I'm severely biased. But thank you guys for being here today. We really look forward to seeing you next time. Grace and peace be with you.